Welcome. You're about to listen to a teaching of the Foursquare Gospel Church, VGC District. At Foursquare, we believe in the transformation of communities through the multiplication of disciples, leaders, churches, and movements. May your hearts be blessed and transformed as you listen. Father, we thank you this evening. Lord, we pray that truly you be lifted up because you say when you are, you will draw men to yourself. Lord, our prayer tonight is that you be lifted up in our church, in our lives, in our family, and in our nation. Lord, cause your name to be glorified so that men will see you in your glory and be drawn to you. Father, as we study together tonight, we ask that the Holy Spirit will teach us. Lord, we ask that the boldness we will need tonight to preach with confidence your word and to live a life that will bring others to Christ, Lord, you will grant to us. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for being with us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. You're welcome to our study tonight. This is our first Bible study in our series for our team for the month. And I'm sure on Sunday, the senior pastor already shared the team with us. And the team is be fruitful. Be fruitful. And it's taken from Luke chapter 5, verses 10, verses 4 and 10. I'd like us to open our Bibles and read together that team text so that we will constantly remind ourselves of the team text. Luke chapter 5, verse 4 and 10. If anyone has seen it, please read. Luke chapter 5, verses 4 and 10. to Simon. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Verse 10. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Amen. 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 The team is be fruitful. And this team also goes very well with our mission month theme for our organization, which talks about God's mandate in the decay of sorrowing. And what is God's mandate? God's mandate is also be fruitful wanting us as a church, as individuals, as families to be fruitful. This evening we were looking at the topic human participation in God's work. Uh, on Sunday, uh, the senior pastor tried to break up our role as humans, as individuals, as the church in God's work. And then we're taking, a, we're taking two sets of two passages as our text for today. The first one is 
will come from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 20. And the second one will be from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I'd like us to read the text for today's uh, Bible study. Anyone can please read for us from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 to 20. It's not too long, but that's what captures the whole topic so that we don't just read a few of, uh, just a, a part of it. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 20. Okay. Verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for all and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Thank you. This passage captures, you know, in a nutshell, what is our part in God's business? What, how, how God sees us and what he intends that we should be doing. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. These two passages tell us exactly what our role is. And um, just introducing our Bible study tonight, I read something that really, you know, it's a very long um, quote from at Lindsay, but I just took a little part of it. He says, while only God can create something out of nothing, we can create something from something. And for me, I look at it, God, often when we go out to speak to people, we cannot convince them, we cannot make them to be saved. He can only give the message. It's only God that can do the impossible. But at least we can carry the message. He says God has paid the price for the salvation of the world, which we could not pay. But based on what God has already done, we are called to spread the news to all mankind that Jesus saves. I'm not able to save the world. I cannot pay the price for sin. I'm never able to deliver anybody. That is something I cannot do, which only God can do, and he has done. But at least, at least, I'm supposed to be able to carry the message of the gospel. 
So our anniversary theme, which says be fruitful, challenges us to be fruitful and effectively participate in fulfilling God's mandate in the decay of sorrowing. And I try to break down that word sorrowing, the way organization spells it. It says spread out and reach in next generation. That is, we have the mandate to spread out. That is, I should not sit in my comfort zone, sit in my church, sit in my, my office, sit in my house and be comforted that, oh, I'm already a Christian. That I'm already a Christian, but I should spread out. Then I should also reach in, even within the church. And finally, to reach out to the next generation. Sometimes, and God works without human participation. It's not every time he needs us. He can do without us. An example of that was in creation. All of creation was done by God. He didn't call anybody to come and assist him. He started creation and he finished creation. Everything was done by him. But sometimes he also chooses to use men to achieve his purpose on earth. And when that happens, the intention is to bring himself glory and to bring man into fellowship with him. Today, God is calling us, myself, yourself, to participate in soul winning with him. And tonight we are going to look at, just like about, it's a very short study, we are going to look at, because we have questions to answer, just about, the outline is just about in three parts. The first part is, how does God work? How does God work? Because we are told to participate in God's work. How does God work? The first one, I say God works by himself. He is God. He doesn't need anybody. He can do anything by himself. And that we see in creation. That I said before, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to 27, we see that God created is a long record of how God created the world. What he did in the first day, the second day, the third day, until the sixth day. Everything he did. And when he was done with it, the Bible says he looked at it and he told himself that what he had done was good or say perfect. There was nothing to be repaired. There was not, everything was just the way he wanted it to be done. So God works by himself. If you also see, sometimes God works by heavenly interventions. He's the one working too, but he's not using men. I'd like us to take like one or two of such interventions when we see God at work. Let's look at um, Daniel chapter 3 verse 5. When there are divine interventions by God, that's men are not involved, but God is at work on the earth with men, but he's not using men. Daniel 3, 5. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. This was the account of when, when the three Hebrew children 
were thrown into the lion's den. That scripture does not, that's the beginning of the story. I wish I could pick you the last story. But while I pick it up, let's, let's look at, um, yes. Joshua chapter 10, verse 11. Joshua 10, 11, as they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth, Horon, to Azekah, the Lord hauled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. You see, th th these are times where God by himself intervenes, doesn't even need men. The Bible says God himself was the one raining hailstone on the people. And the people that died from that hailstone were more than the people that the Israelites themselves were able to kill. We also have an account, I think in Genesis 19, about Lot. When, the, when God wanted to deliver Lot, he had to send angels. Those were angelic interventions. So sometimes, there are many passages that will read it where interventions are heavenly interventions they are divine god does not use men so there are times he works by himself like he did in creation there are sometimes that he from heaven it can be hailstone it can be when he just allowed the red sea to pass it can be when he he does so many things that from heaven earthquakes just by himself without and there are sometimes he sends angels but most times here on earth God will work by human participation using men. I want us to start from the Old Testament. Adam, God had created the earth. Everything was done, but there was something God said to Adam. Genesis chapter two, verses eight, 15 and 20. Genesis chapter 2, 8, 15 and 20. Verse 8. Mm. Now the Lord had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to walk it and take care of it. 20. Verse 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. God had finished creation. Everything was done. But God now asked man to participate in what he has done. He had made a garden. He said, okay, now I've made a garden. What I need you to do is to tend it. God had created all the animals. He said, now man, what do I need you to do? I need you to give names. And Adam began to give names to those animals. I see that was, you know. So sometimes God, God wants us to participate in what He's doing, not because He cannot do it. It creates a fellowship between us and God. It also helps us to know the mind of God. You know, you can imagine when you are in a relationship with somebody, and He does everything without involving you at all. How do you feel? You feel as if you you don't mean anything. Your opinion doesn't matter, you know. That's not how God treats us. He's capable of doing everything by himself. 
God could have saved us. God can, can force people to, to receive him. He can do anything he wants to do. But he likes us to walk with him. Another person God used was Noah. When God determined that he was going to erase the world of them, he decided to use one man to save the number of people and animals he wanted to keep alive. He could have done it by himself. He could have called Noah. Noah, come, come. This small, I'm going to create a small enclave for you. Just enter inside. He didn't do that. Rather, what did he do? He gave his presence to He said, go and make an ark. So Noah was walking with God. He was giving him instructions. You do this, do that, do that. That's the whole the story of Noah there. Then we saw Abraham too. When God made up his mind that he was going to build a new nation, he called a man. And that man was Abraham. He said, come. I want to build, I want to start something new. I want to create a new nation for myself. I want to make a prototype so that people coming after will see this prototype and, and be, be assured of what I can do. You can imagine if you like I said, if you want to build a if you if you're going to buy a house in an estate, most of these new estates they do two things. Either they put a prototype already on the ground that you can see, or they make a drawing and say, This is what your house will look like. So when you see it, they say, Okay, then I can buy this house. That's exactly what God did with Abraham. He said, I want to I want to build a nation out of you. And the way we deal with that nation and work with that nation, those who will come thereafter will look at that and say, this must be a faithful God. Because today that's what we look at. The way God had worked with Israel. The salvation. The way he forgave them. The way he stands by them. The way he helped them. Every time we remember it, we say God is faithful. The way he kept all his promise. I want us to read Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 to 3. Genesis 12, 1-3. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever causes you, I will cause. And all peoples on earth, will be a blessing, will be blessed through you. You see, that was a single man God called and said, this is what I want to do with you. I want to build a nation out of you. Your life will be blessed. Your offerings will be blessed. And through you, everybody in the world will be blessed. God called another man, Joseph, a young man, a teenager. And God gave him dreams. And why, why did God do that? God knew that there would be a time that he would need to save Israel. And that was the man that was going to walk with him. Let's look at this. Genesis 37, 5 to 9. Genesis 37, 5 to 9. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, 
Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheave rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. So we're going to read 45, 4 to 8, Genesis 45. Four to eight. Four to eight. Yes, please. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God, he made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, No, eight. We're stopping at eight. Okay. Praise the Lord. So maybe you are a young person and you are wondering, maybe we are talking to old people. What does God have to do with me? Joseph was a young man. And God called him at a very young age and sent him out. And the very purpose of God, God knew they were going to be firming. And if the Israelites had stayed where they were, they were going to die. So he was sent ahead. That was the plan and the purpose of God, to save that remnant. Uh, the next person we see here is Deborah. She, as a woman, we were just trying to look at different types of people. And God raised that up to save Israel. This was a time that there was so much problem. You know, Israel was like almost in, in hiding. They were oppressed. Judges chapter 4, 4 to 5. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lap Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. Then we'll do 9, 23 to 24. Same judges. 9, 23. God stirred up animosity between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem. Are you sure? Is that Judges 9? Judges 9, 23. I'm just taking 
I'm sure it's I'm sure it's it's just verse verse um is um four it should be twenty-three to twenty-four, same same scripture. Just, just telling us about the victory of Deborah. That's the verse there. This typing is not okay. Is it is it? Judges chapter four. Are you in Judges? Just go to the same four. So Judges four twenty three. On that day, God subdued Jabin, mm -hmm. king of Canaan, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. So, you know, God raised a woman at that time to be the one to deliver Israel, even though she had hoped that, you know, a man would be the one to go to battle. But the man had said, ah, Deborah, if you don't go with me, I'm not going. And God said, okay. Deborah said, okay, if you will not go, I will go with you. But that victory God will give to a woman. So it doesn't matter who we are. Whether old, young, male, female, God works with us. He desires us to walk with him. It's God that has the work. He's the one that has the plan. But he loves to work with people. In the New Testament also, we saw people that God worked with. The first person in the New Testament is Mary, a young virgin. And God decided that she was going to be the human vessel to give birth to the Savior of the world. It is possible that uh, God could have come down like he used to do in the Old Testament. But this time around, he said, no, I want to walk through a man. And Mary had that privilege to bring forth the Lord. Next person we should look at today is Peter. Peter was another vessel that the Lord used. And the idea of God was God wanted to use him to reach the Jews in the New Testament. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. One day, as Jesus was standing at the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen, who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, 
Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Amen. Peter was a man the Lord met at his place of work in his business place. And when God had an encounter with him, his reaction was, I don't think I can work with this man. And Jesus said, don't worry about that. Not only will you work with me, you will do my work. So sometimes I don't know where God is encountering you. Maybe in your business place, and you are saying, like some people say, someone was telling me recently, say, ah, I don't miss business with church, business this way, church this way. And I said, can you separate your life? Can you say, if I'm here, I'm doing business, is when I get to my house, I'm a Christian. You are one and the same person. And who you are must reflect in everything you do, whether in your place of work or your home or any relationship. So even in your place of business, that's where God wants to partner with you. Because there are some people, you are the only one who will have the privilege of meeting. You are the only one who we have the privilege of witnessing to. As much as you don't want to mix your business with preaching. For example, how many of us have the privilege of sitting one-on-one -on -one with the president of this country? How many of us? Not many. But assuming his personal assistance, he sees him every day. He walks with him every day. Just assuming that guy is a Christian and he tells himself that, no, I'm, I'm, I cannot. It's a real privilege. Or maybe your secretary to your MD, or you're in big management in your company, you see your MD and you see the big men every day, and you tell yourself that, no, we don't mix. Who's going to witness to them? Who's going to talk to them? Is it their driver? Is it me on the street that wave their car down and tell them, please, I want to witness to you? It has to be you. Because that's why God placed you in that position. That's why God gave you the opportunity. So Jesus met with Peter in his place and he used him as a vessel to reach the Jews. Once that encounter happened, there was no stopping Peter. The next person the Lord met with was used was Paul. God chose him as the human vessel to reach the Gentiles. The story of Paul is very long, how the Lord encountered him. But we can read Acts 9.15. I think we can just take only that one. Acts 9.15. Okay. But the Lord said to Ananias, Yes. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. He says, this man, Paul, is my chosen vessel. So as we sit here, we are all God's chosen vessel. I don't know what exact excitement God is giving to you. I don't know who God is asking that is you that must reach those people. Because the Bible says that in, our, in, our, in the text we wrote in Ephesians 2.10, it says, God has prepared us ahead for certain things. 
there are some people that only you will come across only you would have the privilege of being able to witness to so you shouldn't miss it i remember once i was at the airport in port Harcourt. you know i don't watch all these reality shows i don't watch them so i don't even know who is who so i didn't know this particular girl was the one that won voice of um what they call it is it voice of nigeria that boy and her dad, I didn't know she was the one. So she was in queue uh, ahead of me. She was just, so I said, I was, she was trying to, you know, just park it. So I said, okay, you can go in front of me. Let me, you can go and go ahead of me. No, so she said, thank you, man. Then she went ahead and did that. So when she came back, she was so, she was very grateful you know, that I allowed her to stay in the queue ahead of me. So when we got into the aircraft, as God will have it, her seat was just next, maybe because she was ahead of me, they just gave us seats close to each other. And we sat with her, they didn't recognize her. So I was just talking to her, so I said, oh, hello, how are you? This one, that one, I said, you know, just trying to get to know her, I introduced myself. So I said, oh, you know, so she was just, she just started telling me, she said, ah, you know, since I won this, ah. so I said, ah, yeah, I didn't even know that this was supposed to be celebrated that I was sitting here, so I don't know. So I said, ah, ah that's very nice, I said, so, you a Christian, so we started talking. I had the opportunity of witnessing to her. Maybe God assigned it that day that I will have. Maybe if I had known who she was, maybe I would not have bothered. You know, but sometimes you don't know. You don't know who God brings your way. And it's your duty. You know? So God chose Paul and said, You are the one I'm going to send to the Jew. He was a Jew. But God decided that he was the one he was going to send. Today, God is still calling men to walk with him. And today, in our generation too, there have been fathers of faith too. People like John Wesley. People like John Wycliffe, Martin Luther, John Knox, many people, Matthew Henry, John Brian, many people. Who in town, even our own founder that have carried the message of the gospel. They've done it and they are long gone. In our own generation, we have those we have met and we have seen too. Though some of them are passed on. People like Billy Graham, Derek Prince, Ora Roberts, Yongi Choda has just died now. Rayan Bonkin has gone to be with the Lord too. These are people who had a call and they were true to it and they carried it with all the zeal in our own very country here where we live in Nigeria there are men too that are giving the whole of their life to the cause of this gospel people like William Kumuyi that was a lecturer and decided that he was going to go into full-time ministry people like Bessin Dahosa that made the gospel so popular in the then Midwest people like Pastor Adeboye, our own general overseer, and even you, that is me and you, that God is using in our own generation. Oh, you may not be that big popular name, but in your own family, in your own neighborhood, where you work, are you making any impact? 
You know what is most embarrassing? For somebody to walk where you walk, walk into where you walk, and they say, oh, I'm looking for this person as a Christian. And they say, eh. Eh. You know what happens to some people? You say, ah, this person goes to our church. Say, eh. Somebody won't challenge me. He said, nobody can spend, if I was a missionary that told me, he said, nobody can spend 15 minutes with me without knowing I'm a Christian. Can you do that? He says, nobody can spend 15 minutes with me and not know that I'm a Christian. Can you do that? Because we cannot lose any opportunity. We cannot. Because that person may never see you again. So even you, God has not stopped using humans as agents of God's work. Today, God still calls people to be agents to proclaim the gospel throughout the world. We are challenged to be fruitful and to respond to the call of God. God has already provided the way to deliver the sinner. All we simply need to do is to tell the sinner. That's all. That is all. Everything that man needs to be saved, God has done it. The only thing he's asking you to do is to tell. The only way I can, I, I, this goes, I, I understand it as, as a person, is when I look at ambassadors. They live in another country, but they carry the whole might of their country. Everything concerning their country, they carry the whole might of their country. And the only interest they protect is that of their country. And everything they want to do is to portray their country to you. That's all. That's the only interest. And so when God tells us that we are God's ambassador, that's what he expects of us. That we carry and represent all that God is. And what we want to do is to tell people everywhere we go, by everything we do, who God is. Everything we do, the way we live our lives, the way we play, the way we joke, everything we do, we just want to tell people who God is. And if I'm doing anything, if I'm anywhere and it's contrary to who God is, then I'm not his ambassador. That's the truth. I'm not representing him. I'm not representing him. And God wants you in every way to represent God. A second, second part of our life says, why human participation? Why does God even need us? He has the power to do everything. So why is he bothering about us? Why bother? For me, I think the first reason is because God loves us. And he likes to bring us into his plan. He's sharing this with us out of love. Two, 
because he regards us as his ambassadors, people who should portray who he is. Also because, in my opinion, it might be easier to relate to fellow human beings because we are human too. And I take a clue from what Christ did. For Christ to save us, he became man. So that he can feel the way we feel. So that when he speaks to us, he can relate with us. We too can relate with him. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. Um, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. You see, that's what he's telling us. You know, he's able to empathize because he's one human flesh, he can understand. And that's why God needs us to participate because we are human too. So when I'm, when I'm preaching the gospel to somebody, I know how to relate to him because I know how he probably feels as a human. Number four, because we have experienced God's love. You know, that's from our teen test in uh, Isaiah 43, the one we used last month. It says, ye are my weaknesses. Ye are my weaknesses. You are the one who have experienced my love. You are the one who have experienced my forgiveness. You are the one who have experienced what I can do. So, it's easier for you to tell about me. That's why sometimes when we go to weakness, we say, I don't know scripture, I don't know what to say. We tell people, just give your testimony. Just give your testimony. Because if truly you have witnessed God, it's easy to tell somebody, you've, you've tested a soup and it's sweet. It's easy to persuade another person. If you have never tested it and they say, what do you think about this soup? You say, well, it looks nice, but I don't know. You, you know, you've not been very confident. But if you have eaten it, you can say very clearly, oh, it's very nice. Uh, is, it, is it pepper? No, it's not. Is it, is, it, is, it, is it sour? No, 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 no. It has a sweet thing. You would describe exactly how it is because you've tested it. Because we have tested of who God is. We are his witnesses. So it should be easy for us, except you have not. And like we said two months ago, we are to be separated from the world, but we are not isolated because we live in this world and we must preach the gospel what is the challenge what is the challenge and that's why this evening we'll participate together what's the challenge we've seen this god wants us to participate we ourselves have experienced god but why are we fearful or reluctant to preach the gospel why are we often fearful and reluctant to preach the gospel? Or it doesn't happen to us. Anybody wants to share, you know, with us, why are we reluctant or fearful when it comes to preaching the gospel? Here or at home or online, why are we reluctant or fearful? We may not be fearful, but we'll be reluctant. Or we'll not be reluctant, but... We have some fears, tradition about preaching the gospel. Why is that so? 
Why doesn't it come easy as when we are talking about football? Yes, sir. So oftentimes we are apprehensive of the people's response. They may be antagonistic, they may yeah, they may be aggressive, they may not be welcoming, or, or yeah, we don't want to be humiliated, you know, by their response. So um, we are afraid of them. We are shy, you know, them, you know, so we we, we hold back. Yeah. Thank you, sir. More responses. Why we? Why we? Yes, I think he wants to say something. Why? Why? Why do we? Why are we reluctant? And at times, consciously or unconsciously, you feel ashamed. Maybe because of the way you have behaved. Like in the example of the workplace, you may not have shared the gospel because the way you even behave, the way you talk, is contrary to the gospel. So you, you don't feel confident. In fact, it's like you don't want to identify. You don't want people to know you are a Christian. So our actions make us feel ashamed. Thank you, sir. Yeah. And, and sometimes we feel intimidated feel intimidated, sometimes we feel we are not able, we are not up to, or uh, people around us, we, one way or the other, we not uh, receive what we are saying, and because of that, we get fearful and we don't share. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. So I think, for me, I think in practical terms, um, it's not that you are, one is afraid, or one is afraid of making it clear that I'm a Christian, but to share it, sometimes it could be seen as um, um, discriminatory in a workplace. Um, so you need to be careful in the way it's going to be presented so that sometimes down the line, it's not used against you that, oh, because she's a Christian, Oh, it's only Christians that do this. It's only Christians that um, she talks to. It's only Christians that get um, rewards. So I think um, workplace rules sometimes also inhibit us. So we must find a creative way of communicating. Thank you, ma'am. Mom, anybody from home you want to share? Why, why, you know, why, why do we get fearful or reluctant? We have shared so many. Sometimes we are looking at the people's face. We don't know how they will react. Sometimes we are ashamed. Sometimes we are fearful. Sometimes is um, the way we have lived our lives does not give us the confidence. Sometimes the work environment we live in does not encourage it. I know there are some workplaces that don't encourage it, you know. But the question is, should that stop us? Should it? And all these are many reasons and excuses. Should it stop us? If there's a, an answer. Should it stop us?
There's somebody online, but I can't hear it. While we're waiting for the online um, response, should it stop us? Eh? Smile to your mouth, Susan. Should it stop us? I don't it shouldn't. It shouldn't stop us. Yeah. It shouldn't stop us. You know why we why sometimes we think the way what we're experiencing now is unique to us. That's never happened before. But when you look at the scriptures, these same things were the experiences too. This same thing from the old testament to the new testament. Look at somebody like Daniel. He was a high man up there. And he decided and said, sorry, oh, this is the decree that his king has made. And he told him, so the Bible says, he went to his room to pray as he always did. He didn't care. It didn't matter to him. It didn't matter to him. Who is the prophet Jeremiah want to think about that went to talk to the king and the king was very annoyed with him. What do you mean? God sent him a message. They're going to go into exile. This is what's going to happen. So they're going to throw this man in the dungeon. He's a stupid man. He suffered a lot. That's happened to people. The apostles did. They are our fathers in faith. They had the same experience. And won't be the last. People coming after us will also have the same experience. We think our generation is tough. Go and ask the children coming after us. Let them tell you. We can even at least... I just imagine what will happen in two or three generations down the line. It's never going to be easier. But the truth is that the world needs the gospel. And there is no other way that they can be saved. I wish there was that we can say, don't, don't tell them. There's no other way. Except if we are thinking that maybe there's a way God is going to do it. There's no other way. Sometimes I ask, starting from our own small family, have we reached everybody? Your own small family, have you reached everybody? Do we go home for Christmas? And they have all these hours. Those of us who are from the East, we have all these hours. Christmas, maybe we don't reach them. We have big ceremonies we do in our families. We all play and we jolly. We talk about everything, but not the gospel. Are you expecting that somebody is going to come from somewhere else to come and lead your own family to Christ when you are there? Let it be known that they will say your family will say, ah, when you come, you must preach the gospel. Eh, let it be so. Because you must preach it. They must hear it. They must be saved. Because we are the vessel that God is determined to use. And like Sister Malade says, we can use very creative ways if we are determined. That's being, being aggressive about it. Not leaving it to chance. If I'm going home for Christmas and I've made up my mind even before I left here that I want to evangelize, I will prepare. It's only when I'm not prepared, I'm just leaving it to chance. I've been aggressive about it. If I say, okay, I'm going to buy devotionals, I'm going to buy this for this people, I'm going to buy that, I'm going to... you'll be prepared. 
You know, sometimes, like those of us who live in VGC here, you ask yourself, it's not easy to preach the gospel even to your neighbor. That's this many of us even know who our neighbors are. We don't even know who our neighbors are. So those of us who live in gated communities, we don't know who our neighbors are. Don't talk of that, we want to preach to them. But if you are determined, when you see your neighbor driving in, at least you can start by first greeting. Oh, good afternoon. Oh, ah, then you start greeting each other. That's where it starts from. There will be Christ Christmas time. There will be Easter. There will be all sorts of things that you can extend gifts. That's how it starts. You are making up your mind that I want to reach these people. I want to create the avenue. We'll have church programs. They will give us a, a, a invitation cards. That's the way to start from. Find a way. For me, the way I broke my own eyes with my neighbor was when we moved in, the first thing my husband did was to greet one, two, three, four across. We just went to the house, knock, sorry, we've just moved in, this is who we are, and that's it. At least when we see each other on the street, we, they will say, good morning, good morning. Then I observe my neighbor on this side has little children. So when it's December, I buy them devotion, I buy for him, I buy for, his, for the husband, I buy for the children, I go and deliver it in their house. You have, there has to be a way. Because God will be looking at us. 41, 42, 43, 45, 47, we don't know anybody. Who is going to preach to them? At the workplace, we cannot. In our neighborhood, we cannot. Where are we going to do it? It's nice to do the random preaching we do, but follow-up is very difficult. But when you win for somebody in your office, when you win your neighbor, you know it's easier. It's easier to invite to your church, decide to bring to your church. It's easier to see how they are growing every day and to help them. My next question says, think about the excuses we may offer to ourselves. Let's think about them very well and convince ourselves whether those excuses are tenable. If you have been able to overcome them, how did God help you? Did you pray about it? Did you make a conscious effort? Did you make a conscious effort about how to reach to reach out. It can even be your family, you make up your mind and say, I'm determined. I want to reach everybody in my immediate family. We can start with prayers. We can start with prayers. My own experience, you know, I, I determined that I wanted to reach out to all my sister-in-laws, that I wanted them to be born again. And I started with prayers. Once a week, I will pray for them. I will pray for them. I did that with another of my sister-in-law for one year. We prayed for them. Every Tuesday, we pray for them. And you know that it works. God began to touch them one by one. You have to be determined. You have to be aggressive about it. It's not something we can leave to chance and say, no. Oh, because God intends to save us and our household. I know we do that for our children too, Abby. When they are not saved, we pray over them constantly. Our siblings. Let's, let's make effort. 
Because it's God that will save them, it's not you. But when you pray, you move the hand of God to show them mercy, to give them understanding so that they can come to Christ. Apart from doing that, do we support missions at all? We have missionaries. We even have missions that our church. We're talking about being fruitful. Our human participation in the work of God. Do we support missions? Time. Some people make out time and they go. Prayers. Givings. You cannot say, oh, I've finished oh, when I've done my tithes in the church and I've done my offering. There's nothing more to do. There's a lot to do. This morning I was reading something. It says, when God gives you privileges, he attaches responsibility to it. That is, when God is giving you that plenty money, there's a reason why he's giving you. It's not just to make you and your family comfortable so that you can reach out so when he gives you privileges he attaches responsibility to it you're responsible just like the, joseph said he said that i'm sitting here as second in command it's not for myself that i can enjoy myself and they say he's the second in command to the pharaoh he said go put me here so that i can save my people So, when we have those privileges, we must remember that we have responsibility towards mission. To pray, to go, and to give. So even if I'm not going out to the mission, I'm only just evangelizing around my area, that some people are going, I should remember them in prayers. If I don't have, at least I can pray. So if only all I pray for is myself and all my problems and all that affects me, and I don't remember that there are some people out there that need my prayer. Or if I get my money and I feed myself and my family alone, and I don't remember there are some people out in the mission field. She also remember those who have been co-workers with us. Lastly, I say God uses ordinary people for the work of the gospel. Take time to reflect on ways in which you can be a human agent of God's deliverance in the world today. How can I be of use to God in the work of evangelism, reaching out to people? How can I be of use? I cannot just sit down in the church and enjoy the sermons and do nothing. If I'm not in the field, am I preaching to my neighbor? Am I preaching to somebody in my family? God just wants us to reach out to somebody. You must reach out to somebody. You must share the gospel with somebody. Because when we do that, we become fruitful as individuals. We become fruitful as families. Then we become fruitful as a church. Because we are determined to share the gospel. We are aggressive about it. 
We're not leaving it to chance. We're aggressive about it. You know, they're very, they're very, like Sister Molly said, they're very creative ways of sharing the gospel. People mourn to you every day. People tell you their problems every day. And some of us, all we do is to give them human uh, solutions. Sometimes simply saying, do you mind if I pray with you? It breaks people down. When I, I, I used to work with a lady that was very close to me and she was a Muslim and a very serious one for that matter. I know for Muslims it's very difficult. You find it, you know, you don't know how to approach them with the gospel. So one day she came to my office and she, she just started all her problems and I saw her, she was just overwhelmed. So I told her, I said, you know I'm a Christian. She says, I know. And I said, do you know I can only give to you what I know works for me? He said, yes. I said, you see, what works for me is that when I have a problem like this, I take it to God. Do you mind if I pray with you? She paused for a moment. She said, yes. I said, do you mind if I lock the door and then we kneel down and pray together? She said, yes. At that point, you know she's, at, she's just at the end of the road. I went kneel down together and we prayed. And it was an opening. So sometimes... God gives us those rare privileges. Don't let's miss it. Don't let the devil tell you, ah, you know, he's a Muslim, or I can't say you want to pray. But if you bring a problem to me and that's the solution I know, why should I give you one that I know will not work for you? God wants us to reach everybody that comes your way, that comes near you, that you have the opportunity to talk to. Like what uh, Pastor Mentor said, sometimes we are afraid of their reaction, but it doesn't matter. It's not our business. Can you imagine the ambassador, American ambassador, eh? and the president of America tells him to go and deliver a message to, to Buari. Will you tell him that he's afraid of Buari's face? Is he afraid? He's not afraid, though. You carry the message there. The worst Buari can do is what? Send him away back to his country, Abby. They say They tell you to go back to your country. But he will carry the message of his country. He must. He doesn't have a choice. He must carry that message. And when he does, he leaves the consequence to his country. Is it his problem? When they send him back home, he goes back home. Abi, who is going to fight Nigeria? Is it him? It's his country that will begin to send whatever they want to send. How ah, do you do that to ambassador? Why do you expel him from Nigeria? Nah, nah. It's not his problem. He will go back to his country and sit down where they ask him to sit, maybe in the, the, one of the offices. That's exactly what God will do. Don't, let's not be bothered about them. When you have spoken to them, whatever is their reaction, let God be responsible for that. Let God be responsible for that. Oh, I might lose my position in the office. They might look down on you. What does that matter? Oh, in the family, they may say, oh, this one is just Christian. When they, have been, they may not ask me. Whatever they are not asking him is not an important thing. When it's important, they will ask him. So we must be deliberate. That is the whole idea of this month. For us to be deliberate about preaching the gospel. For us to be aggressive. For us to identify people that we wish to reach. And to prayerfully do it. Because I don't know how it's going to be. Every time I think about it, I say, can you imagine to think that the people we love 
my father, my mother, my brother, that my cousin is going to hell. It's, it's, not, it's not a pleasant experience. It's not a good way to feel. So we need to be very aggressive about it. Our response as a church in fulfilling his mandates in a decade of swearing. I'm reading this from the foreword that was made by our general overseer for, to our missions week manual. He says our response as a church in fulfilling his mandate in the decade of swearing. Every member of the Foursquare family, the most is my own em em emphasis, must embrace this vision with zeal commitment, obedience, and all the seriousness it demands so that we can enjoy the prosperity which God Almighty has promised us. He's encouraging us to pursue this vision with zeal, with commitment, with obedience, and all seriousness. That is, we shouldn't take it lightly at all. So as we, VGC, First Square VGC, celebrate our anniversary, let us focus on a future of abundant fruitfulness through aggressive and aggressive soul-winning strategies individually and as a First Square VGC family. That is our charge by our own senior pastor, that we should do it aggressively. We should have strategy as individuals and as a church. We should, we should pursue fruitfulness aggressively. Be very aggressive about it. Then we'd like to read this uh, uh, verse as our closing verse for today. 2 Corinthians 5.14 2 Corinthians 5.14 that's our closing verse for today. Can you please put it up for us? Second Corinthians 5.14 For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. The love of God, just the way it compelled Christ to die for us, that same love should compel us to be aggressive about evangelism, to die to ourselves. That pride, that self-protection, all those things you are thinking about is not letting you do it. Let's die to it. And let the love of God compel us strongly so that we will reach out to other people. Tonight, before I close, I just want us to pray. I want you to remember somebody that you really, really want to know the Lord. And I want you to, com to commit that person unto the Lord's care. Maybe there's somebody in your life that is dear to you. And you say, I want this person to know Christ. I just want this person to know Christ. I want you tonight to pray for that person. And say, Lord, help me so that when I reach out to this person, this person's heart will be open to the gospel. 
there must be somebody that is dear to you. Maybe your mom, maybe your dad, an uncle, a friend, a neighbor. And you really desire this person to be a Christian. You know, there are some people who look at, oh, they are good people, but we just know they are not Christians. They've been good to you in one way or the other, but you know they are not Christians. And it's so heavy in your heart. Let's pray for that one person and say, Lord, bring this person to Christ.